All right, the clock at the back of the room is dead. So I'm going off my watch, which I think, I know it's a little bit early for cross point time. So we'll give it a couple minutes. It's six o'clock, right? Do y'all have six? About a minute till or so? We'll give it a couple minutes and then um, jump in. If you want to read ahead, we're in Genesis 1 tonight. So, I have five after, but I'm five minutes fast, I think. Is it, is it five after? Really? Are you fast? What does the cell phone say? <laughs> I need a tune-up here or something. I, I like to be five minutes fast. In that, in that case, we are on cross-point time if we start right now, so... That'd be just right. Let me um, let me start with prayer. Jeff, Ott, would you get that door for me? I'm not sure that I can carry on with that ambient noise. Let's pray for Jason Monroe tonight. He had to bury his daddy today, and um, he and his dad are really close. So he is heartbroken and hurting over it. Let's pray for. Um, um, Jenny's family buried her brother yesterday. Yesterday, correct? Yeah. And um, so we want to pray for Jenny's family and pray that this will be a time of uh, light and darkness. So, any other urgent prayer things we can lift up tonight? Amy? Charles? Hi. Okay. Okay. Okay, let's pray. Lord, first of all, we want to uh, just uh, recognize that we are um, grateful for the opportunity to engage you tonight. Grateful for the uh, sweet privilege of coming together as a people of God and sitting at your feet for a, for a time and hearing truth. And uh, pray that we'll be, as a people of God, attentive to that truth. Uh, pray that we won't be distracted with the cares of the world, our deceitfulness of riches, or uh, even just the daily issues of life, but at least for the next hour or so, that we can just tune in and that we'll build a healthy foundation. And in fact, that you'll build a healthy foundation in us tonight as we recognize your handiwork and your craftsmanship and your creation and your design and even your redemptive character even from the very beginning Lord, we uh, we count it a sweet privilege to engage you tonight but also in our time together tonight we want to lift up people that are uh, hurting and uh, going through grief and we pray for Jenny's family just pray for a time of um, attentiveness to the things that matter and pray that uh, you'll use Jenny and Nick as uh, messengers of truth and that they'll be salty and bright and aromatic and that their family will just be overwhelmed with a um, couple of people that have hope and a couple of people that have a message of of um, eternal life and a time of death 
Um, just pray for Jenny as she grieves, that you'll just give her peace, that you're on your throne, and that you're not caught unaware or off guard, and uh, that you have a, um, a design and a plan, and, and that uh, she'll be tuned in to the opportunity to, uh, to share you. I pray also for Jason Monroe's family as he buries his dad today, and for Morris Bean in the uh, service. Just pray that you'll be glorified in that setting also. As a man has enjoyed his life and his death are, are both celebrated and grieved that, uh, that most of all that his God is enjoyed and savored. I pray that you'll just give Jason peace, that, that um, his dad uh, is in a good place with you and that he'll, he'll spend eternity with you there. Um, pray also for the uh, Hyde family, for Charles. We pray that you'll give Charles uh, peace that you're in control and you're on your throne. If Charles does not know you, they just pray that he will be arrested with uh, the f- how fragile life is and that if he does know you, that he will still be arrested with how sovereign you are and how awesome you are. And uh, we pray for wisdom on the care- by the care of the doctors that they'll have uh, insight into what's going on in his body. Lord, we thank you so much that uh, whatever our situation where we have whether we have plenty or nothing whether we're grieving or laughing that ultimately we have consistent and abiding trust and peace and uh, comfort in knowing you and um, and being bathed in the blood of the lamb and that's what we uh, that's where we rest tonight in our true sabbath rest and uh, we turn this time over to you in christ's name we pray amen make a brief announcement before we continue this next Wednesday night is our mobile worship Sunday, or excuse me, this next Sunday morning is our next mobile worship. These little cards are on the table as you leave. If you've got some neighbors or workmates that you are um, trying to connect with that are not in a church home, you know, we want to be real intentional about not trying to woo other church members away from their churches. But um, if you have a friend that's or a neighbor or workmate that's not involved in a church home somewhere, then... It's a good time to encourage them to connect. And um, ideally, you're trying to be, befriend them, too. Don't see this as a silver bullet to engaging those that don't know you, but as a bullet that comes out of a shotgun. I, some of the ladies have no idea what I'm talking about. A rifle shoots a single bullet. A shotgun shoots a bunch of little BBs. And good quality ministry is more saturating Good quality discipleship is saturating in people's lives with friendships and relationships and, and engaging them in ways that matter and inviting them to be part of your church is one among many ways to engage them. So, But we're going to be at the Fletcher Warren Civic Center this next Sunday, meeting at 9.30 for coffee and donuts and then 10 o'clock for worship. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together too since we're going to be together in one, dining together essentially on the Word together in one meal. So... Grab some of these and pass those out to your friends. Also, on uh, Saturday, put on your calendar, Saturday at 10, <clears throat> we're going to meet here at the church building and go out to Turtle Creek. And uh, there's a couple other little neighborhoods near the Civic Center. And uh, we're going to engage those neighborhoods and pass out those flyers door to door just to let people know we're going to be there worshiping. So put that on your calendar and make that <clears throat> make that a priority, even if you're not... Even if you don't like the thought of that, like, ooh, that sounds kind of aggressive, and all you're doing is saying, hey, we're from Crosspoint Fellowship. I'll give you an example of exactly what it is. Those of you that have done before, you know it's like no big deal. You knock on the door, 
Hey, my name is Ben McGraw I'm from Crosspoint Fellowship. We're actually going to be worshiping at uh, the Fletcher Warren Civic Center on Sunday. And if you guys aren't in a church home, we'd love to have you. Here's the information. Here's our website on there. You can check us out. Have a great morning. That's not scary. I mean, really, it's not. Um, and it also, I, at least the folks that I come in contact with, they're not, they don't spit on me or throw anything at me. It's just crazy. They're like, oh, cool. We actually have a family that's worshiping with us right now that, that came from us doing this. So it's worthwhile. <laughs> and it's kind of what I'm talking about, saturating a community with a number of different things. It's not a silver bullet. It's, it's one of tiny little BB in that shotgun. So uh, plan on doing that 10, uh, at 10 o'clock on Saturday. And uh, it'll probably go till 11, 11.30. So a lot depends on how many people come out. If there's two or three of us, then it's a long morning. If there's 10 of us, it's 45 minutes or an hour, and you're out of there, and it's awesome. So um, that's 10 o'clock on Saturday. Okay, let's jump into Genesis. I want to read Genesis 1, or begin in Genesis 1 for the sake of uh, context, but we're going to hopefully get through the entire, or finish up the entire chapter tonight. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the, day, or the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the, the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants and yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their own seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate this is basically where we're picking up tonight. I'm going to go ahead and read through it, but this is where we want to pay special attention, verse 14 onward. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas. And let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. 
And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life. I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. I think we're going to be able to get that far tonight. Uh, if we actually have a little bit more time, we may move beyond that and actually capture the Sabbath in there also. But I want to call your attention to kind of the overall uh, outline for this first day, first of all. And that's found in verse 2. The earth was without form and void. Really, the first three days of creation, the Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, actually took care of that first thing of it being without form. The first three days, the first creative works actually created spheres. Okay, the heavens, the expanses, um, light. And the next three days actually create the furniture of those spheres. Now, when I say furniture, don't envision what you're sitting on. Include man in there. I'm just taking, I'm talking about the implements, the accoutrements of those spheres that are stuffed in there. Those are created on the second three days. Okay, so the first three days address the being without form. The second three days address it being void. Okay, so he creates form. He separates the first three days. And the next three days, that voidness, he addresses. And he creates some things to fill it. A couple things to just call out before we jump into the second half of the week. On the first day, he creates light from darkness. There's significance to this, and it's worth reminding us of. It's God's redemptive character from the very beginning, that he speaks light into darkness. I cannot tell you how many times, just since this last Wednesday night in counseling, I've told you all before that without fail, God provides the resources for my counseling, almost no matter what the situation is in either the Wednesday night study that I'm working on or the Sunday morning Bible study, that the resources are right there for daily living. But I cannot tell you how many times this reality, this picture of his redemptive character of speaking light into darkness, that he allows darkness and then he speaks light into it. It's his redemptive character. He allowed the flood so that he could speak a remnant being preserved in the flood in Noah. He allowed Egypt so that he could call Israel out of Egypt. He allowed the slavery and the 400-something years of bondage and slavery and that darkness so that he could speak them out of that and to demonstrate his light. Uh, Yahweh in the backdrop of Babylon, Yahweh's deliverance of his people from the, in that backdrop of Babylon, that's just the way he works. And Christ shows up as the light in the backdrop of our sin condition and our death. So his redemptive character is in there right from the very beginning on the very first day. 
couple other things to really pay attention to in these first couple of days. Um, actually, that was the main thing I just wanted to remind you of. Now let's address the next three days, starting in verse 14. Again, these are going to address the void issue where he fills the spheres that he's created with furniture. Verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the... Let me, let me call your attention to something first. Pay attention to what the lights do. I'm going to incorporate you into the study here in a minute. But I want you all to pay attention to the purpose of the lights. Okay? Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Okay, what's created this day? Okay, all right. Now the stars, there, there is the potential to think that the stars may have already been there, but I think since the sun is one of the stars, we can hope and expect that the stars are one of those illuminators. Okay, clearly we're talking about the sun and the moon. But it's likely the stars are created on this day also. And what are these purposes of these lights? Okay, separate light from darkness, day from night. What else? Seasons. They distinguish times and seasons. And what else? That kind of goes along with it. Days and years. Those kind of fit together that the lights help determine and distinguish times and seasons and days and years. And what else? To do what? To give light to the earth. Exactly. They provide light for the earth. Now, a couple thoughts on that. First of all, in distinguishing the day and the night to separate light from darkness, night from day, they merely serve as clocks. Okay? You don't worship a clock, right? It's just a clock. So as spectacular a clock as it is, it's just a clock. It just helps us determine, okay, well, now the day's over. Okay, the day's beginning. There's the sun. So it's a time keeper in some ways, a time measurement tool, at least in the first case there where it's given to distinguish day and night. It's also given to distinguish times and seasons, days and years. That would also apply to festivals and religious celebrations of the people of Israel, the nation of Israel. That would fit a lot into this, uh, to what is provided here in the role of the sun and the moon and the stars. And then also to give light to the earth. There's a divine oversight of creation that is kind of given over, at least by appointment. There's not dominion given to an inanimate object, the sun and the moon, but in some way there's rule. He even uses that, uses that word there for the sun and the moon to rule the earth. And it's God's created uh, image, really, of his role. As we look at the sun, as we, as we look at the moon, as we look at the stars, those should point us Godward and remind us who the true source of light is. Remember that point that we considered on the first Wednesday night? That the first three days of creation didn't have a sun and a moon, and yet there was light? <laughs> I mean, that's just so cool to me. That's another instrument, another counseling instrument that I've, used, I've had the chance to share with people three or four times over the last week. That, hey, you know, we're looking to our checkbook and our paycheck as the true source of security. And the reality is, they're like the sun or the moon. <laughs> they're just there by appointment. 
Who's the true source of my provision? God is. Who's the true source of light? God is. We look to our physician to make us better. When the physician, yeah, it's a tool, just like the sun or the moon is. But who are we ultimately looking to? We're looking to the great physician. I'm not saying don't go see your physician any more than I would be saying hide from the sun. Enjoy it. Use it, but recognize who's really behind it as the true sovereign and as the true source. So those three days without the sun and without the moon, I think were enabling for us and helpful for us to appreciate that he's the source of all things. Also notice that um, I, I believe that the stars were cast on this day. Um, that the stars serve a purpose. Turn to Psalm 19. Keep your finger there in Genesis chapter 1. Turn to Psalm 19. This is one of my favorite psalms. And it just uh, really resonated with this passage. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. So as we go out and we look at the sun, and it's so bright we can hardly contain it, we can hardly stand it, it hurts our eyes. That's just a little glimpse of the glory cloud of God, this white-hot glory that is God. As we go out and we see one of those nights where you have a low ambient Greenville night where L3 lights are down or where for some reason it's just you can really see the sky light up. Sometimes you have to go camping to really see a night like that and get away from civilization a little bit where you just see stars like you've never seen. That that expanse, that that testifies to God's glory. I mean, look at that first verse. The heavens declare the glory of God. Look down at verse 2. Night to night reveals knowledge. I heard John Piper say something one time. He was talking about this, this uh, chapter in Psalms. And um, he said, are you going outside? And are you looking up and going to school? And then he just shouted, are you looking up and going to school? The heavens just declare His majesty and His glory. Sometimes you might think, man... Why did he go to all that effort to hang billions of years worth of light years of space? Isn't that superfluous? I mean, couldn't he have just given us 100,000 light years? Wouldn't that be enough? Why billions of years of light years? Or billions of light years? Because those only begin to do justice to the majesty and glory of our God. Man, are we looking up and going to school? We think about him casting the stars and filling the heavens as an instrument to point us to his glory. We can go to glory school. We can go to handiwork school. We can go to knowledge school. If we would but sit on our back porch in a chair and look up and realize that he spoke it into existence. It's pretty awesome. Now, let's look at verse 20. And God said, let the waters swarm. Oh, we're back in Genesis. Didn't, didn't take you on the journey there. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms. That's a bunch right there when you got a swarms of swarms. Let the waters swarm with swarms. What do some of the other versions say? Who has NIV? Team with living creatures. What does NAS say? Team with swarms. Okay, we got a little, we got all kind of versions here. We got swarms of swarms, team with swarms, and team with living creatures. 
and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Okay, main thing that he creates here this day is swarms with swarms of living creatures in the water. We're going to look at some of the, at least one of those creatures I want to pay attention to tonight. And then birds across the expanse of the heavens. And the cool thing is on this day is that as he creates all these things, he puts them into reproductive motion. Okay, he blesses them specifically. Look at verse 22. And God blessed them saying, look at the content of the blessing. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. Be fruitful and multiply is the blessing. So here's another class on, if we'll look out our window, school, on glory school. How many times have y'all ever seen the, the birds that congregate over there at Walmart? Where do they come from? I've never seen so many ugly, grackle, black birds. But when you look at those swarms of birds out there, think about God speaking that into existence. I don't like grackles that much, so I'd like to move toward birds that I enjoy. When I was growing up in Louisiana, they had blackbirds. They were called red-winged blackbirds. Anybody ever ever seen a red-winged blackbird? I've never seen any around here. Maybe they're around here. I just haven't, haven't noticed them. But, man, those things get so plentiful. They will just fill the skies, and they have this sound, kind of a screech. It's just the coolest sound. I remember as a kid, dove hunting, wishing a dove would come out of that crowd, you know, that he'd materialize. But the skies were full of blackbirds, and the dove were nowhere to be found. But seeing that sort of congregation of critters and realizing that God spoke those teams of teams, those swarms of swarms and those swarms of living creatures into existence is pretty cool. Thinking about um, ducks and geese that used to rise off Catahoula Lake as I was growing up. That you, you think you could just pull your trigger and close your eyes and shoot, and then just a hundred of them will fall? They're too far away for that, but you think you could, where the skies are just full of them. Another time that, <laughs> this is kind of weird. Have you ever seen those trucks on I-30 um, that pass you, and they just have like 8,000 chickens on them? And you're like, man, you guys, you poor saps, you are on your way. And they don't even know it. They're just sitting there clucking around. But there's so many stuffed on that truck. Think about this. The teams of teams, the swarms of swarms of creatures that he called into existence. Enjoy God when you see those sort of things. Let those things be the instrument, the Godward instrument that they should be in pointing us to a God that spoke them into existence. We have, uh, my dad is a zoo vet back in, in central Louisiana. We have a kind of a lake there in the middle of the zoo that uh, I've spent a lot of time there with him being a vet there. And I remember just spending just volumes, gobs of time, watching the carp in these lakes. You ever seen the carp at a zoo or at a, where you throw the food in there and they're just climbing on each other? Or have you ever been salmon fishing and seen a, a stream that's just red with salmon? Teams of teams and swarms of sports spoken into existence. It's just amazing if we would but open our eyes and go to school or look up and go to, our, go to school. Keep your finger in Genesis 1 and turn over to Luke chapter 5. 
One of the things that I want to do as we're moving through um, Genesis is I want to look for Christ in there. Obviously, I think we, uh, I've mentioned before, we can be guilty of vegetailing our Old Testament to death and not looking for our Lord in there. And, um, but I want to look for places. I want to be attentive to places where Jesus demonstrates dominion over what was spoken into existence. What are some examples that we looked at last week? A couple of them, at least. In the first three days of some things that he created and how Jesus demonstrated dominion over them. Does anybody remember? Huh? John 1? Yes, of him being there in the very beginning. Yeah, that's definitely a picture. Think about a place where he demonstrated dominion over something that was created, where he walked on water. To me, that's one of the coolest pictures. You know, the waters were separated and the expanse, the waters above from the waters below. Jesus walking on the water was appropriate for him to demonstrate dominion over something that he created. That's no surprise for him to be able to do that. He owns density. He owns gravity. He owns water. H2O H2O and all those compounds involved in there, they bow to him. And him walking on water was a cool picture of that. So here's another picture of that. Look at Luke chapter 5. This is a picture of him showing dominion over what's created in this day 4. Luke chapter 5 verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, You can imagine, Simon, he's he's a fisherman. He's been fishing all day. I mean, go out to talk to a professional shrimper who comes in with empty nets and an empty boat and say, hey, um, hey, you know, I don't really know anything about what you're doing, but I think you should go back out and go cast your nets some more. He'd probably rip your head off. I mean, imagine this guy, this Simon's thoughts. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. Okay, and look, look what happens. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. I'm just hearing teams of teams and swarms of swarms. That's no surprise. He was there when they were spoken into existence. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Pretty cool picture of dominion, Christ's dominion over creation. Now, let's look at the great sea creatures. If you got the email today, you know that I told you that we were going to talk about dinosaurs a little bit tonight. Dinosaurs are so interesting to people. It's one of the most frequent what weird questions that I get. Hey, what about dinosaurs? I'm like, what about them? But we're going to talk about them tonight and talk about maybe where they come from and where are they in the Word. They're introduced right here in this passage and on this fourth day or this fifth day. Right here in verse, um, let's see, is it verse 21? On the sea creatures. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm. There's some cool things that language skills give us. I, I'm not as skilled with Hebrew as I would like to be, 
But this study in Genesis is going to force me to, um, to grow in my Hebrew skills. But some of the things that I've done with these words that are used here, combined with some help of some people that know what they're doing, is I've found some other uses of these words that are in the original language that escort us to other places where we can understand who, what he's talking about here. First of all, let me point you to the word, the created. Let me see here in verse 21. So God created the great sea creatures. That word there for created is the word bara. And that word is not used every time the word created is used. That is a unique word that's used rarely for when God created the heavens and the earth, and when he created man, and when he created these sea creatures. There's something unique about these sea creatures. And every time that word is used, it has to do with the creation of a wondrous work. It's a special word that's not brought out in the English. It's one of, you know, Hebrew has never been all that interesting to me because it, the English does a pretty good job of capturing it. Greek is very different. But this is an occasion where the English does not capture the word here. If we were to change this to what it really meant, it would be, so God created in a wonderful way, because it's a wonderful creature, the sea creature. Okay, given the, use, the special use of this word, bara. He created, he barad the heavens and the earth, man, and what I'm going to say are dinosaurs. These great sea creatures Come up in other places. Turn to Job chapter 40. We believe that Job is one of the uh, earlier books of the Bible in terms of chronological age, that it was pre flood. Job chapter 40. And if it's pre flood, if you're like me, then you would believe that, as we described on our uh, first study last week, that when on, on this day two of creation, let me go back here and look at something. On day two of creation, it's one of his separation days. He separates the waters above from the waters below. It's like a big terrarium. Did anybody resonate with a terrarium? Has anybody made a terrarium? Am I the only one that ever did that? A pickle jar with saran wrap? It's like a big greenhouse. The earth was like a big, huge greenhouse. You know the greenhouse effect, where there's lots of condensation above and lots of water above. That's a lot like what the earth was likely like, and that's pre-flood. This was the only day that he didn't say, and it was good. Of the six days where he's creating, it was only day two where he didn't make the point to say, and it was good. And most people believe, that have studied this, that it's because it's something he's going to undo later on the flood when he opens the faucet of that water above, and it just dumps and creates the worldwide flood. So that's why he didn't pronounce it as a, as a good thing. But the whole, um, not topography, not geography, the whole climate of the world changed after that, as you would expect. There's a lot less condensation. It would probably get colder. We'd have a lot colder places on the earth. We'd have water congregate in different areas. Just the whole, the whole earth would change as a result of that. So going to Job would give us a little glimpse of pre-flood life, what that may have been like. Job chapter 40, beginning in verse 15. We're going to meet two creatures here in Job. One's the behemoth and one's Leviathan. Behemoth is likely a land creature. 
okay? Chapter 40, verse 15 says, Behold, behemoth. I've got a little note next to behemoth in my Bible that takes me down to the bottom that just says, A large animal, exact identity unknown. What notes do y'all have in your Bibles? I'm just curious. Yes, hippopotamus. Okay, we're going to study it. We're going to read about this creature and see if it's hippopotamus. I, I've thought that one of our versions might say. What does the NIV say? So does it, same note? It calls it a hippo or an elephant. Okay. Does anybody else have any other notes, any other creatures it might be? Cattle? Really? Okay. A huge beast. Okay. Let's read about the behemoth. And just try and figure out, first of all, if it's hippopotamus or elephant or if it's something that maybe we don't know, like a creature that we've not petted <laughs> or named or seen at the zoo. Behold, behemoth, which I made as I made you. Now, interestingly enough, the word for made there is bara, B-A-R-A. And it says right here, which I made as I made you. As in Genesis chapter 1. Here's one of these critters I'm talking about. These big special creations that I made when I made you special creation. There's a connection here. He eats grass like an ox. Okay, could be a hippo. Behold, his strength is in his loins and his power in his muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. Hard to describe a hippo's tail as a cedar. Maybe an elephant. I don't know. Let's see. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs like bars of iron. He is the first of the works of God. Mm. Genesis chapter 1. He's the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. For the mountains yield food for him where all the wild beasts play. Under the lotus plants he lies, in the shelter of the reeds and in the marsh. For his shade... The lotus trees cover him. The willows of the brooks surround him. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened. He is confident, though Jordan rushes against his mouth. Can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? Y'all ever been in a circus? Man, I'm seeing elephants getting led all around, all over the place. I'm seeing people riding on their backs, people doing cool stuff on them. I don't think this is an elephant. I don't think it's a hippo. It's some sort of weird creature. Based on what's described there, it could be a brontosaurus. It's not a creature that, that I know based on what's described there. Okay, and let's look on at Leviathan. Can you draw out Leviathan? I should have explained the context here. The Lord is speaking to Job. Job has questioned God. And God is basically saying, who are you? <laughs> How does he start out? He says, dress for action like a man. Oh, Job is about to get it. And this was his response where he starts talking about this behemoth, which I made as I made you. And now he starts talking about Leviathan. Job, little man that you are that's questioning me, can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook? What, is, what do y'all's Bible, Bible say or is Leviathan? Crocodile. Okay. All right, that's interesting. Okay, can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Man, I've seen people catch 
alligators and crocodiles all day long. You can hold their mouth shut like that. A kid can hold their mouth shut. Their power is in their ability to clamp. But they're, they're not, I mean, I'm not saying go wrestle with them and hang out with them or get one as a pet. But I'm seeing people wrestle these things that's not really reconciling with this. Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you of soft words or speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you put him on a leash for your girls? <laughs> Poor Job, man. He's bumming that he even asked God a question. Will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? You can do that with an alligator or a crocodile or really even, I, I know their skin is thick, but you can penetrate it. I mean, it's possible. And it, he's saying it here as if it's impossible. It's, it's incredulous that you're even thinking that you could do that. And he's basically saying, I've got dominion over that creature. He says, lay your hands on Leviathan and you're going to remember the battle. You will not do it again. Behold, the hope of man is false. He's laid low even at the sight of him. No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Who has given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. I will not keep silence concerning his limbs or his mighty strength or his goodly frame. Who can strip off his outer garment? We're still, we're still talking about Leviathan. Who can strip off his outer garment? Who would come near him with a bridle? Who can open the doors of his face? Around his teeth is terror. His back is made of rows of shields. I, you could make a stretch, you know, for kind of a uh, scales on the back of a crocodile or something. His back is made of rows of shields shut up closely as with a seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They're joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. Now, here's where things definitely are not like a crocodile. His sneezing flashes forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the dawn. Out of his mouth go flaming torches. Sparks of fire leap forth. There's a potential right now to go, oh, well, I guess this is obviously poetic because that couldn't possibly happen. Don't you think it interesting? You may not know this, but every culture, really, that's ever recorded any sort of history, any sort of record, every culture that's ever done that has fire-breathing dragons in it at some point? Is that just, are we all that creative? I mean, you might be saying, well, how can a, bra- a dragon breathe fire? I don't know. <laughs> I haven't seen this guy. There are scientists out there that support the idea that it's possible. That an animal lived like that. You have to begin to wonder when all these uh, cultures have some sort of story there that's tied to some sort of fire-breathing dragon. Out of his nostrils come forth smoke as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals and a flame comes forth from his mouth. In his neck abides strength and terror dances before him. The folds of his flesh, I hope we know we're not talking about an alligator or a crocodile now. Okay. Let's read the rest of it though. The folds of his flesh stick together, firmly cast on him and immovable. His heart is hard as a stone, hard as the lower millstone. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid. Now also notice that in Job, if you read how God is answering Job in the rest of the book, he doesn't have but a bunch of fictitious creatures. He doesn't make up weird creatures. It's not, a, it's not like Revelation where you've got all these 
eight-headed dragons that we just have a difficult time even envisioning. He's talking about the gazelle and critters that we know. So for us to dismiss these just because we don't see them walking around is a leap that's a dangerous leap. And it should help us piece some things together for dinosaurs. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid at the crashing they are beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, it does not avail, nor the spear, the dart, or the javelin. He counts iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. For him, sling, st- for him, sling stones are turned to stubble. Clubs are counted as stubble. He laughs at the rattle of javelins. His underparts are like sharp potsherds. He spreads himself like a threshing sledge on the, on the mire. He makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. Behind him he leaves a shining wake. One would think the deep to be white-haired. On earth there's not his like, a creature without fear. Now here's a transition that we're going to make here in a moment. He sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. There's going to be a connection here to maybe why these guys are extinct here in a moment that I'll, I'll take you on. But what I first of all wanted to establish is that Behemoth and Leviathan are in our Bibles. Other passages you could look at is Job 7, 12. Um, but what I want to take you to is pictures of thoughts on extinction. Now, in a scientific sense, you would expect that when the world changes, when the upper expanse of the waters are dumped on the earth, that things just change. A climate, or a climate change and became much less temperate and um, uh, arid. Is, yeah, no, it's not, it wasn't arid, much more arid than it had been. And that these guys would experience climate changes that they could not survive, okay, in a scientific sense. But let's, I want you to make the connection that, that is made throughout the Bible of these sea creatures and serpents' connection with evil. That connection right there in Job is hard to, hard to not pay attention to. He sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. Let me take you to some other connections. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. This is probably the most obvious connection of serpents to evil. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. That would kind of resonate with Bara, wouldn't it? Wonder, wondrous creature, special creature. He's more wonderful in, in many ways. And this is before he was made to crawl on his belly. One of his consequences for sin, or for him leading mankind into sin, was that he was made to crawl on his belly. So there's a sense at this point that this is some sort of special creature that you can almost understand how it would fit with Bara. And look at uh, the consequences for him leading mankind into sin. Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, leading Eve and then ultimately Adam into sin, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first picture that kind of takes us into a place where we begin to see this serpent and this barad creature as associated with evil and potentially rating some significant punishment. 
and unique punishment. Turn to Exodus chapter 7, verse 8. I'm giving you just a couple of snapshots of this evil being consumed. That this may help us understand the extinction, at least, of dinosaurs. Okay, to some extent. Exodus chapter 7, verse 8. This is, now let me, let me give you a little context. Aaron and Moses are about to go before Pharaoh. Aaron, or Moses has already gotten his staff that God gave him thrown it to the ground, it turned into a snake. Okay, That's not a sea creature, sort of dragon, sort of snake. That's not the word for snake that's used in Genesis 1. Now this occasion is. Listen to this story. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Aaron had a special staff. Take your staff, Aaron, and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. That's the same word for the sea creatures in Genesis 1. These weird, these huge, uh, um, large, special sea creatures. So it's like a dragon, almost. Sounds like. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Now, it may have been a big old lizard. I don't know. It's hard to imagine a big dinosaur coming out of his staff. But it's hard to imagine it turned into a creature in the first place. So it's not, I don't think it's beyond the moment for it to turn into something pretty spectacular. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent, that creature, that weird sea creature. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. So they took their staffs and they threw theirs down, and theirs turned into dragons too. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. You've got to appreciate the imagery here. <laughs> Aaron's dragon swallowed up their staffs. And still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. There's the picture here that these serpents, in some ways, represent Egypt. They're like a symbol of Egypt and a symbol of wickedness. And Aaron's staff consuming their staff is a picture of evil being consumed and being squashed. Here's another picture in Isaiah chapter 27. Isaiah chapter 27, verse 1. It's talking about the redemption of Israel. In that day, the Lord with His heart and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. Okay, it's a developing image of this big sea creature, this big barad creature being in the embodiment of evil. Where else do we see this sort of creature? Yeah, exactly. And who does that represent? Satan and the beast and all the other creatures, the uh, one that testifies to the beast. and So there's a picture here that this, this developing um, picture where that embodies wickedness. So it would be appropriate for the, the extinction 
of these big creatures over time. When mankind was at its complete uh, pinnacle of wickedness, which we would expect would be at the flood, that would be the time that those creatures would be destroyed. Mostly, we would expect. Now, the Loch Ness Monster might be for real. Maybe he just survived. He's a good swimmer or something. I don't know. He's an old cat if he is still there. But um, I think there are some pictures there that these guys did exist. Let's look at day six of Genesis chapter 1, verse 24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth. Everything that has breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Okay. There, are, there is a movement in the Christian uh, Protestant faith for a, kind of a group of people that are, are communicating a Jesus-only sort of picture that God became Jesus, and now Jesus is the Holy Spirit. Or just kind of this this modalism where God is there in many ways denying the Trinity. The Trinity shows up right here in the first chapter of Genesis. Right here, it says that let's make man in our image. There's some people that suggest that that's just a picture of His Majesty. That He has to have a plural of Elohim to to demonstrate His His Majesty. But that's not used elsewhere in the Bible. There's no real picture of that used elsewhere. So it points right here to a Father, Son, Spirit role where they're working together, where it's one God and three persons. There's also a picture here in verse 26 of the dominion of man. Let's make man in our image after our likeness and, and let them have dominion over the fish and the creeping things and all that other stuff. The animals, you need to realize, the animal, animals have some level of dominion. Whenever he created the animals, he gave them a role. The plants, he gave the role of being reproductive. Now, the animals have a certain degree of that also. But the plant's dominion is in being reproductive. The animal's dominion is being locomotive, fill the earth. I'll give you an example with animals. If you have a cat that is good about marking its territory, kind of dropping a little pee here and there, so all the other cats that show up, or, or you that show up, you know that he's been there. There's a picture of that in animals where they have a territorial dominion and a locomotive dominion where they're marking their lair. Now, men, mankind has dominion above that because we have reproductive, we have locomotive, but we also have rule and knowledge. Okay, he's raised our dominion to be a dominion of rule and a dominion of knowledge. Then in verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
Each human being is made in the image of God. And you also need to recognize that man and, wo- man and woman in union, in marriage, are also an image of God. That's the picture right here where it says, um, male and female, he created them. So in, as individuals, there's an image of God, but there's also an image of God in the, the union of man and woman. Verse 28, just like he put creatures in reproductive motion, he put mankind in reproductive motion. He said, be fruitful and multiply. And realize this is the blessing. The blessing that he gave mankind is to be fruitful and multiply and go rule. A big part of that blessing is to multiply. So, you know, I brought up a minute ago, whenever you see all the blackbirds, the grackles over there at Walmart, think of God. Whenever you see the carp, you know, crawling all over each other, think of God or the salmon in a stream. You can also think of God if you happen to be out in the parking lot when you see the Thormans roll up and unload out of their car. You can think of God and you can think of his blessings. <laughs> they have six kids, right? Yeah, and who knows? They may have more than that that have just shown up. So picture a blessing that, um, to be fruitful and multiply and also to subdue and to rule. Verse 29 and 30. I'm going to pick up a couple things. Verse 29, God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. He didn't have to tell that to animals. Animals figured that out. Okay, I can go eat these plants, and that'll be my nourishment. But to man, he made the point to say that. Now, man probably would have figured that out. (laughs) But he made the point to say, go eat these things. I'm providing these things for food. Look at what else he gives him, or what else he tells him. He says, and to every beast in the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. So not only does he tell mankind what to eat, but he also tells mankind what the critters are going to eat. This is a picture of him giving the man dominion and knowledge. He didn't tell the creatures anything. They have no knowledge and no wisdom, but he tells man not only what to eat, but he also tells man how it works. This is what the creatures are going to eat. This is what you're going to eat, and this is how you guys are going to survive. There's a cool picture here of this knowledge of being a picture of his kingly role moving to his priestly role. That's where I'm going to pick up next week. That's, uh, there's an important picture there that's going to point us toward the role of the high priest the role of Christ, the role of a priestly people. (laughs) It's all right here in the first chapter of the book of Genesis. And we're going to get a taste of the kingly role and the priestly role that's given as far as uh, part of our dominion. We'll pick that up next week. Um, I didn't get as far as I wanted to tonight. Maybe got bogged down in dinosaurs, but at least you have some things you can chew on there. Does anybody have any final thoughts? We have a couple of minutes left. Questions? Anything that they heard tonight that's throwing them for a curveball? Oh, yes. Mankind was too. After the fall, the first death took place after man sinned. Where, why? Why did something have to die? Are we, exactly. Exactly. Because they, they got these fig leaves. This is a cool picture of how pitiful man is at trying to fix in our own guilt. 
What, what happens to a leaf that you take off of your plants in the backyard? Yeah, if you go cut a fig leaf off, you know, it looks good for about an hour, and then that thing kind of starts shriveling up, <laughs> and you're bumming. That's your clothing, you know. But, I mean, that's how pitiful man is at covering our guilt. But God provided a way, but something had to die to do that. And that was the first death, and that's where man, I guess, <laughs> hey, let's eat that thing. You know, let's not go, let it go to waste. That's where meat-eating came into the picture. I'll just show you a cool glimpse before we leave. Isaiah 65. We were going to talk about this next week, but this will be a cool, because it kind of addresses your question there. Isaiah 65. I like eating steak. I like fried fish. I like all kind of stuff like that. So I'm kind of bummed about this, but um, this new heavens and the new earth, there's a prophetic passage here of what it's going to be like. Oh, here it is. Um, Yeah, verse 25. And the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. Oh, man. Wolves eat meat, you know, or bugs. But they're grazing. Uh-oh. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Our meat-eating days are going to come to an end, men. I'm sorry. I know you're really bummed about that. Go to salt grass tonight. Get in your last few pieces of steak. If the Lord comes back, there's going to be a point in time where we won't eat, eat meat anymore. And... um we weren't made to eat that way in the first place. It's nothing sinful about eating it now. So if you're a vegetarian, don't see that as fodder for your argument. Um, because those, I mean, it's, it's certainly appropriate for, for us to eat steak and, and all that now. So. Genesis 9? Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. All right. Good questions. Good questions. Let me pray and... Um, We'll dismiss, and um, next week we'll climb into it. So if we can finish out this chapter, we'll look at the Sabbath. I'm trying to think of an assignment to give you all. Just read Genesis 1 and 2. Just just start reading it over and over and over and over and over again. And start making diagrams and start asking questions and start figuring out what happens when and what hasn't happened here and what needs to happen. Or where else do I see this pattern? Start looking for things like that. That's good Bible study. That's the kind of stuff where I'm telling you, you find things, you find nourishment. You just find resources that impact you right here. And some people say, well, that's just a bunch of academic stuff. You know, give me something that's practical. Practice that's not born of this truth is busyness. And it's not even worship. Really, practice ideally is born of truth. And then that's called worship. Practice that comes out of this. So there's a, you can be real busy and be real wrong. So I, I'm, I like practical. But we got to get it from the right place. And you got to poke and prod and kick and scratch and claw. And uh, it's hard work. So, but it's good work. Find good medicine. Let me pray. Lord, thanks for our time together tonight. We just appreciate our time in the Word and time seeing your design where you speak and things happen and things are created and swarms of swarms and uh, teams of creatures. And Lord, I pray that just as a result of our study tonight that we may spend a few minutes under the night sky and that we may consider the expanse and the handiwork. We may go to glory school and think about the magnitude of the heavens just beginning 
to point to your majesty and your wonder. Lord, I pray as we consider these first few days of creation where you spoke and things happened that we just hear and see power, sovereignty, wonder. And that we recognize that we have a wonderful privilege of walking with you and knowing you and engaging you through the finished work of your son. We count it a crazy privilege tonight and I just pray that it'll surprise us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, y'all.